Exodus 19, uh, and uh, can be found on page 73 on the Church Bibles. <clears throat> so Exodus 19, uh, verses 1 to 6. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And that's on page 1201. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone is the builders rejected, oh sorry, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How do you feel about rocks? Some people are really keen about rocks. Uh, they're called geologists and they love to study them, the colours they are, uh, how they're formed and, and what sort of qualities they have. Geologists are wonderful people uh, because they enable people to do mining and mining makes Australia rich and we like being rich, don't we? But most of us are not geologists. On the other hand, you might like rocks because they are old rocks or more to the point, in the olden days, some people put the rocks there. Now, I'm one of these people. I went on a rock tour of the Middle East, just looking at rocks and really how they were placed there and why. Who did it and when and how they are still there. Rocks tell you history. But if you're not into geology and you're not into history, rocks are hard to like, aren't they? Why? Because they're hard. You can't cuddle them. They don't keep you warm in winter unless you've 
warm them in the fire. Why be interested in rocks? So why listen to a sermon, and this is probably the only one you'll hear in your lifetime, I suspect, on rocks, on rock piles? Because Joshua is scattered with rock piles. And as we think about what do they mean in the Bible, I want you to see tonight that God has a plan for a rock pile. And if you can see that plan and see who is at the centre of it and how you fit into that plan, you'll know what to value in life and you'll know why life is worth living. Let's see if I can convince you. What's Joshua all about? It's about the promise keeper. God made a promise to give them the land and not one of his good promises failed. He gave them the land. And as he was doing it, Every now and again throughout the story, he tells them to set up rock piles. So here's the first one from Joshua chapter 4. He takes them across the Jordan River, do you remember? And the Jordan River dries up as they walk across. The Ark of the Covenant goes across and they cross the Jordan River just like they crossed the Red Sea. And as they crossed the Jordan River, he told them to pick up 12 stones. Strange thing to do. They get to the other side and put them down. And so when they put them down, they now have a rock pile. Back to the first slide, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, Hey, Dad, what's that rock pile mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. He did the same to the Jordan that he did to the Red Sea, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. He told them to set up rock piles so they would remember that in future generations they would remember what the Lord has done and they would always Fear the Lord. Sometimes it was a great victory like this one that the Lord had done. Sometimes it was like Achan who disobeyed the Lord, but they piled rocks on him as well to remember what happens to those who reject the Lord. And the rock piles are there to remain. And it's pretty encouraging. It's positive. God and his people are serious about this relationship. They're like a couple who go to the trouble of celebrating their anniversary. They deliberately remember good times in their relationship. They celebrate the promises that they have made. God and his people are like that. As you read through Joshua, you think it's going to work out well. And so you expect the final rock the climax, to be a really good one. Maybe it'll be a diamond or something. No, Joshua 24. We had a bit of a look at it last week. Joshua 24. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. God had reminded them all that he had done for them. Joshua said, now serve the Lord. Throw away your idols and serve the Lord. And what did the people say? We will serve the Lord. Throw away your idols, Joshua said, and they completely ignored him. 
And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. This rock pile is different, isn't it? It's not a reminder of what God has done for them. It's a witness that has heard what God said. That's weird because rocks don't hear, but it's a symbolic, metaphorical thing, isn't it? God promised them that if you disobey me, I will cast you out of the land. You heard the words and the rock heard the words. And when you see this rock, you'll be reminded. This is not a positive rock pile at all, is it? And if you thought the rock piles to remember were going to work, you realise now they are going to fail. Reminders don't work. We believe in reminders, don't we? When I used to watch Sesame Street as a kid, the characters would talk about how they had a, a string tied onto their finger to remember something, but they could never remember what it was that they were supposed to remember. It was just a string. Now, I've never seen anyone with a string tied to their finger. Have you ever come across that? I think it's just a Sesame Street thing made up. What do we do now? We write it on our hands or we put it on our phone because we think that if we're reminded about something, it will work. And we think they're not just day to day. We think that's true with the memorials that we have. Have you noticed? We have one in Karajong. A memorial to those who died so that we don't go to war again. I went to a memorial in Jerusalem, I mentioned it before, to the Holocaust so that it never happens again. Every year we have Anzac Day and we say lest we forget and we really believe, don't we, that if we remember every year how bad war is, we won't go to war again. Do you think that works? Have you believed that lie that you've been taught all the way through school and every Anzac Day? It's a foolish lie, isn't it? Have there been genocides since the Second World War? Multiple genocides. Have there been wars? Lots of them. One of my children asked me recently, Dad, do you think there'll be a third world war? I didn't hesitate. Yes. We did it twice. Why wouldn't we do it a third time? Because we have memorials? No, don't be so silly. Do you really think that if you had a reminder on your phone to love the people in your family, that it would work? No. Last week we saw that man-made religion won't work because God-made religion didn't work. I want you to see tonight that man-made reminders that we put so much faith in won't work either because the God-made reminders, the rock piles, didn't work. There is a deeper problem than just needing to be reminded and it's in us, isn't it? Once they're in the land, God gives them a better rock pile. 
In 1 Kings 6, it's 400 years later, David has built his own rock pile. It's his palace. And now he wants to build God a rock pile to live in as well. He's not allowed to. His son Solomon does it. And he begins to build. It's a more impressive rock pile. I think the ones in Joshua probably took no more than a day. You put the big rocks at the bottom and the smaller rocks on top. That was as much planning as there was. But Solomon built a better rock pile. How long did it take to build the rock pile for God? Seven years. There was an inner sanctuary, a courtyard, an altar. There was cedar. There was gold. There were beautiful carvings. There was wonderful furnishings. It was magnificent. And the best part about this rock pile was that it was God's rock pile. It was a house for his name. He was going to dwell there. And so they held an opening ceremony. It was a magnificent opening ceremony. God had come to dwell in this rock pile amongst God's people. And Solomon prayed. It's really worth reading his prayer later on. Do you know what half of his prayer is about? What does he pray that God will do as a result of this rock pile of him dwelling amongst his people? He prays that when the people sin and God hands them over to their enemies and so they cry out to God for help that God will hear. That's a pretty negative way to open this new rock pile, this magnificent temple that you've built, isn't it? What do you expect will happen now? Will this rock pile last? No, we saw that last week, didn't we? The promise makers are promise breakers. And 2 Kings 25, the Babylonians come, you know the story, and they destroy the temple. There is no sign of it anywhere. It was that total destruction. In God's kindness, you read the biblical story, and they get to come back from their exile and rebuild the temple. It's a shadow of the first temple until King Herod comes along, remember him, and gives it a magnificent upgrade. He builds this incredibly massive platform with retaining walls that the Hawkesbury would just love to have. They are massive and they are still there. These beautifully dressed stones, hand-carved, built off-site and dragged there. One of them, I saw it, was 14 metres long. One stone. Can you picture that? That's like across here almost. One stone, it weighs 570 tonnes. And is this part of the rock pile, the temple that they were building? No, this was the retaining wall to build a platform to put the temple on. Do you see? It was magnificent. It took 46 years to build. And no wonder Jesus' disciples, you might have read this bit in Luke 21, they point these stones out to Jesus and they say, what magnificent stones. What does Jesus say? Do you see these stones, he says? Not one will be left upon another. Because it wasn't enough for them to reject God's messengers, they're going to reject God's Son and he's going to reject them. 
That's exactly what happened in 70 AD. God sent the Romans and they sieged the city and completely destroyed the rock pile that was the temple. And I saw the rocks that they'd pushed off the top of the platform to try and smash everything below. This magnificent rock pile that God had given them, where God dwelt, made no difference at all. The world is full of magnificent rock piles, isn't it? The Romans built extraordinary ones. You can still see them. You can still walk along their roads. We build stadiums, skyscrapers, and our favourite, of course, the opera house. We build our dream home. And we think it will bring us glory. We think it will make us happy. We even think that we can build buildings to God's glory. We call them cathedrals. They're a symbol, aren't they, of what we can achieve and our hopes. We think that somehow they will make a difference. But God's rock pile failed. Why do we think ours will make a difference? Every magnificent building will be destroyed. Picture the opera house for a moment. It will be a pile of rubble one day. Don't put your hope in these man-made impressive things. There is a deeper problem, isn't there? It's in us. And even God's better rock pile was pointing to something better than that, wasn't it? There is a best rock pile. Finally, we've made it to 1 Peter 2. Let's have it open, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a great passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's page 1201 in the Visitor's Bibles. Whilst that better rock pile, the temple, was still standing, God made a promise through Isaiah. And he said, and you can see it there in verse 6, quoted from Isaiah, See, I lay a stone in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. While the better rock pile, the temple, is still standing, he says, I'm laying a stone in Zion, something new. And it's not a stone in a way, it's a hymn. Do you see that? It's a different sort of a stone, isn't it? And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter, the apostle Peter, heard Jesus proclaim, destroy this temple and I will build it again in three days. Then he saw Jesus died, rose again three days later and he realises that Jesus is the stone. Verse 4, the living stone. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can you see this? Here is a rock pile, a rock, the living stone, with rocks built upon it, building into a spiritual house. That's the temple isn't it? The better rock pile that Solomon built. But this time the rocks are not rocks, but people. The living stone is Jesus. 
And the ones who are like living stones are all his people, those who come to him. And as they come to him, they are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There's a few things going on here and it can get all a little bit confusing, but it's the fulfillment, isn't it, of what happened before. He is the living stone and we get this are like living stones as we come to him and hear his word and believe, we are born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When that happens, God gives us his spirit who fixes that inner problem that had never been fixed before, who writes the law of God in our hearts, who changes us on the inside so that now we are living stones and have become a spiritual house. Here is a better, better rock pile. Here is the rock pile that God always intended. A spiritual house. A priesthood. Now why does that matter? What are the implications of that? Well, can you see here that the spiritual house and the priesthood is now us? And so how could you possibly think for a moment that buildings matter or that there are priests amongst God's people? Most of the so-called Christian churches around the world think that buildings are like temples and that the leader of their churches are like priests. Have you ever been to one of those services where the person's acting like a priest? Why haven't they read 1 Peter 2? When I was in Jerusalem, I went to maybe the most famous church there, which is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's, it's famous because they think that's where Jesus died and rose again. That's a pretty good start if you want a famous church, isn't it? So as you walk into the church, there is this stone at the front of the church where they think Jesus' body was wrapped up after he died. A stone where he was laid, do you see? So as you walk into the foyer, it's hard to walk in because there are all these people prostrate on the floor because they think this is a holy spot. They are bowing down and kissing it and crying and rubbing their handkerchiefs on it so that they can get the blessing and put it in their pocket and take it home with them and not blow their nose, I assume. They all are worshipping on this stone as if it's a living stone, do you see? And then you find out in your tourist guide that this stone wasn't there when Jesus was there. In fact, it gets replaced fairly often because they keep rubbing it and it gets worn out, do you see? It's not a living stone, it's a dead stone and it gets worn out and they're worshipping this stone. Jesus is the living stone and we are the spiritual house and we are the priesthood. In fourth term, we'll be celebrating the Reformation 500 years after Martin Luther started the Reformation and we need to keep on learning about that and understanding it and being able to explain it to other people. What is it then that this building is that we meet in? Well, thankfully, it's pretty obvious what this building is. It's a, a hall, isn't it? 
that shelters the building. Where is the building here tonight? It's us. For Jesus is the living stone present here with us and we are the people built in him. And 150 years ago, the living stones who lived in Currajong, the Christians, decided they needed a shelter, somewhere to keep them out of the rain when it rained. And so they built St Stephen's. About 35 years ago, the people here decided that the wooden hall that got blown around in the wind really wasn't good enough. They needed a house of bricks. And so they built a shelter for the building the rock to meet in and soon we'll launch a plan for the living stones to build a new shelter it'll be newer it'll be bigger it'll be more functional but it's just a shelter the real rock pile is us now that's the negative implication don't value the other things what should we value well verse 4 tells you doesn't it as you come to him the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus was rejected by humans, wasn't he? His own people rejected him, they crucified him. Today his name is a swear word, people think he's irrelevant, some people hate him. But what does God think about him? God thinks he's the chosen, precious one. This is my son whom I love. To God, Jesus is more precious than anything else. More precious than you. Way more precious than you. Who do you think is most precious? Is it Jesus? Is he more precious to you than anyone or anything else? To your own job or success or education? Is he more precious than your own church and what the church service should be like? Is he more precious than your girlfriend or boyfriend? than your husband or wife, than your parents, than your children to you. For God says he is the chosen one. He is the precious one. And we ought to value him the same. He's the living stone and we and other Christians are like living stones. And so if he is precious, what does that say about us? about the others around about you here tonight. They too are precious. Pink Floyd, who were a weird band somewhere back in the 70s, I think, they said, all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Well, you are another brick in the wall. That's true if you're a Christian. But it makes you precious because the wall the spiritual house is precious. So have a look around tonight. Does anyone here look like a rock? I wonder who looks the most stone-like tonight. Maybe those who've been away in the winter warmer and haven't had enough sleep, I don't know. We, each one of us, are stones and precious 
stones. We are more like a diamond than we are a lump of rock. Since I don't know much about rocks. Have you got the point? Precious. And we ought to value ourselves as precious and value every person in God's spiritual house as precious. Love them earnestly from the heart. Simon and Garfunkel, who were not a weird band at all, they were a great band from the 60s, they sang, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and a rock never cries. They had not read 1 Peter 2. We are rocks, which does not make us an island. Do you see? We are rocks to be put together. And so we gather together regularly. We're committed to that because we're precious to one another. And when we come together, we love one another because we are precious to one another. And that is what God is doing in the world. Do you see there in verse 5, 4 and 5, that this is an ongoing process? This is the last thing I want to say. Verse 5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I think Joshua's rock piles probably all happened on the one day. There was not much planning. It didn't take very long. You just put the rocks together. Solomon's rock house took seven years. Herod's one, 46 years. God's one is taking longer. It's an ongoing process, do you see? Are being built. He is building a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and it is still going. How is it still happening? Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone. As people come to Jesus, the living stone, they become like living stones and are being built into this house. God is doing it, verse 5, for they are being built, and it is going on still. In verse 4, in verse 4 it says, as you are coming to him. It's not that you become a Christian way back then, and now you're like a living stone, and so in the house. No. As you keep on coming to Jesus, as every day in your life you are coming to Jesus. So you are being built into this spiritual house, so you are loving and caring for the other rocks as well. How is it that you are coming to Jesus every day? We'll look back, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. What is this pure spiritual milk where to crave? Look back, verse 24 and 25, it is the word of God. As we come to Jesus by regularly reading his word, remembering what he says, trusting in what he says and repenting of our sin. So we are growing up. So we are maturing and being built together. That's what God is doing with this congregation. That's what he's doing with our church. That's what he's doing in the history of the world. You don't have to like rocks. It's okay to think they're boring. But God's rock pile is what he is doing in the world. 
And that means Jesus is precious. It means you are precious. And it means your fellow Christians are precious. Treat them like that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are active in the world, building your spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, who is the living stone, precious to you. We pray that he might be rightly precious to us. And Father, we thank you for the great privilege of being like living stones as we come to Jesus. You change us and give us new life and join us with other believers that we might be joined together in this spiritual house. Help us to keep on coming to Jesus by hearing and reading his word, delighting in what he says to us so that we might be being built into this spiritual house. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.